What a blessing to be together with you all at church, the gathering together of God's people, coming to him who is the living stone, and we also as living stones are being built up together in him to be a dwelling place of God, and it's special to be together Without our meeting here today, or all the days of the history of this building, the building is just a building. But when we're together, we expect something special, don't we? That God meet with us and walk in our midst and build us up in his truth and use us to be his testimony in this world until he comes. Well, before I open up God's word, I'd like to pray and also say again, I heard, well, say again that it's a privilege to be here. And we heard we got wind and news through the grapevine that we were accepted into the fellowship of this local body of believers for which we rejoice. We were gone last week on purpose, so if anybody wanted to say nay, they would feel more free to... I joked and said that a few times, but honestly, it's, it's a blessing. And Ruthie mentioned recently how after years and years, well, we were in China for 15 years, and we're not always used to coming to church. You can tell if you come to the early hour, you can tell we're <laughs> rarely on time. So it's, it's a blessing for us to meet together with believers and be amid the, amidst the singing and the praising of our great God. Heavenly Father, again, we do thank you for the privilege of being here together. Every day and every hour, we are in your presence. Help us, God, to live in conscious awareness of your presence and live worthy of your calling wherewith you've called us. Thank you for your grace, your mercy, your faithfulness, your truth. Help us, God, through our time together in your word today to be built up and edified, refreshed, encouraged, reminded, bettered, strengthened, and reflect more accurately the image of your Son. May he be seen in us, not to our praise, but to his, to yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, <clears throat> open with me, if you would, to Psalm 40, the 40th Psalm, the second to the last Psalm in the first book of Psalms. What? Does that sound kind of funny? When I learned about the divisions of the books of Psalms, books? Of Psalms I thought that kind of odd but so it is historically and I wanted to prepare a nice fancy slide and uh, lots of information but I'll I'll try to just keep it brief because I don't want to get lost in the weeds but the first book of Psalms and yes five books and so the book of Psalms is the biggest book in the Bible. 
150 chapters. And David, if you go by title, he's written a, at least 73 of those. Some of those not titled may also have been written by him. Obviously, some of those titled were not written by him, but at least 73. But in the New Testament, the author of Hebrews and Luke and Acts records for us that they reference Psalm 2 and Psalm 95 and ascribe that to David. Even though they're not in the book of Psalms, you might notice they're not ascribed to him in the title. So that would make David the author of 75 of the 150 Psalms, which is exactly half the book. Anyway, trivia. I have a few more trivia I thought I would share with you, which to me is not trivia, and hopefully you'll appreciate it too. It is the worship hymnal. It's in Hebrew, it's called, um, well, I'll skip the word, but it's Book of Praises. And this is the ancient worship hymnal of the nation of Israel. Largest book of the Bible. It contains the most chapters of any Bible. Psalm 119, as you know, is the longest chapter in the Bible. And who can tell me what's the shortest chapter in the Bible? Jesse? <laughs> 117. And I'll skip a lot of this. Uh, Psalms is written by more authors than any other book in the Bible, being at least eight, at least eight men, such as David, of course, Asaph, the sons of Korah. I'm just going to put two fingers up for them. Solomon, Moses, Psalm 90, and Heman, Ethan, and probably some others. Psalms was the longest project of compilation of any of the Bible books as it spans over 900 years, maybe up to 1,000 years from the time it began. If you start with Moses, right? Until the time of, that it was finished which the post-exilic psalms, meaning those after the children of Israel went into captivity in Babylon. Those psalms were probably finished before Ezra and Nehemiah made the, the journey back. So it's the longest work in process, the longest, what's the word? Well, it's, it took the longest time to finish that. Great work. Psalms is the most quoted Old Testament book in the New Testament. I think that's cool trivia. Psalms contains more messianic prophecies than any other Old Testament book. Other than possibly Isaiah, because there are lots of references and allusions that come from Isaiah. It reveals the Messiah, the Son of God, excuse me, it reveals the Messiah as the Son of God. Who is the Messiah? Well, number one, he's the Son of God. Number two, he's the Son of Man. Psalms 2, Psalm 8, respectively. 
in his obedience, Psalm 40, in his betrayal, Psalm 41, in his crucifixion, Psalm 22, in his ascension, excuse me, in his resurrection, Psalm 16, in his ascension, Psalm 68, in his enthronement, Psalm 110. Thus, I am fascinated with the book of Psalms. And then here is, this is really kind of trivia, trivia, but uh, for whatever it's worth, I think it's fun to know. There are duplicate Psalms. Did you ever think you're reading through Psalms and like, didn't I read that already? And oh yeah, I did. Like Psalms 14 and 53. There's an overlap in studying this Psalm 40, I realize. What? That's that last section is a whole psalm called Psalm 70. The whole psalm is nearly reduplicated. And I I analyzed the differences and had fun getting nerdy with that. And I'll stop there. Except for, of course, some psalms are written as, could you call it an acrostic? Anyway, it's alphabet, you know, like there's maybe seven. Well, let me see here. I, I notated them. Too. Anyway, six or eight psalms at least that are A is for apple, B is for bear, C is for, now not really that simple, but most notably Psalm 119. There's eight verses for every Hebrew letter. And so you'll see that in some of the Bibles, they, they title it Aleph, Beit. Gimel, and they go through. Every eight verses is a new section, a new section, a new section, a new section, because it's written alphabetically. And so if you want to learn your Hebrew alphabet, you could start there. And, or if you want to memorize the biggest chapter in the Bible, you could start there. And simultaneously learn your Hebrew alphabet. Okay. Oh, no, I have more. Psalms is written by more authors than any other book of the Bible. I mentioned that. Uh, I did mention that, too. Oh, I'm sorry. I was looking at old stuff. All right, so I wanted to give you... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you what I'm going to tell you, and then I'm going to go through and hopefully do that. Try to follow the, the said format of a good teacher, which I always fall short of. But... Here we go. First thing is an overview of the book of Psalms, which I'll finish in a moment. And then I want to introduce Psalm 40. In studying Psalm 40, give you an introduction, then we're going to read it, then we're going to consider some of the theological significance in the book, then we'll focus especially on one thing. One thing that I hope, if nothing else, we get this one thing. And then application. So going back to the overview of the book of Psalms, its uniqueness, we talked about that, and then its structure. There are five books, and one of the things that informs us about that is that there is a doxology given at the end of each of the collections. And one of them, for example, says, now this is the end of the 
book, of, this is the end of the prayers of David, the son of Jesse. That's notable. That's at the end of the second book of Psalms. But there are five books, and so some have called this the Pentateuch of David. The Pentateuch of David. And traditionally, Jewish scholarship likes to see a correlation between the first book and guess. The book of Genesis. The second book, you know, and in the first book, to its credit, there is an emphasis on God's creation and the specialness of man in Psalm 8, for example. And Psalm, or excuse me, the second book would correspond to the book of Exodus. And there, there to its merit, there are Psalms of deliverance there. And Psalm 3, there's an emphasis, excuse me, book 3. And I could, I could tell you that, like, you, or you can figure it out. Psalms 1 through 41 is book 1. Psalms 42 through, I think about Psalm 72 is book 2. Book 3 has a special emphasis on the temple as, and there's an emphasis on the temple anyway, which can be seen a correlation with the book of Leviticus. I'll stop. You know, that's not inspired. But it's interesting trivia. Okay, and that is the book of Psalms. Now, turning to the second to the last book, or excuse me, the second to the last psalm in the first book is Psalm 40, and I'd like to read that together with you. And... My favorite thing in studying the Psalms is to see Jesus in there. And I never want to force it. I don't want to see Jesus where he's not. Hey, that's David. That's David, not Jesus. Now, sometimes I think it really is hard to figure out, is that David or Jesus? I could see how that could be true of David, and therefore it is typological of Jesus. But other things are just straight up Jesus, no question. That is not David. For example, you will not suffer your Holy One to see corruption. Now, David, let's be honest, he's dead and buried. And if it was a few days after, like in Lazarus' case, Peter might have said, and he stinketh. Of course, this was a thousand years later, so no problem. Just <laughs> He's still in his grave. His bones are resting where they were first placed. But Jesus did not see corruption, and he is alive. He's arisen. And so that psalm, written a thousand years before Jesus, that psalm, is a telescopic projection into the future, a millennia ahead of time, saying, here's what's true about my son. And he used the prophet David to pen it down. This book is awesome. I love the Bible. It's not always so juicy, though, is it? Sometimes it's... Well, speaking of myself, anyway... Sometimes it's more work to get, get it. But here, I have really enjoyed 
studying this and mulling on it and thinking on it, and I never have prepared for today, except whatever's done is done, and hopefully, well, we'll see. Here we go. To the chief musician, what does that tell us? It was to be set to music, and it was, and it was sung. This is, there's, this is a public song, Psalm of David. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. And I want to read the whole thing, but just here, I just want to pause and consider the psalmist is talking about waiting patiently. And I think we could say that means waited and waited. I waited intently. I not anxiously waited, but patiently waited for the Lord. I anticipated his response. He inclined unto me or turned to me. He did this. Unless I was over there. He did this. Which implies what? Well, from this next verse, he heard my cry. It implies I was over here crying. Oh, Lord, I'm in a strait. I'm in a fix. I need help. Oh, God, would you please move? It is time for the Lord to work. Won't you move? Oh, God. And there have been different times in my life where I have cried to God. Maybe it's a, not a petty need. I need a car. And he blessed me with a car. I don't want to be in Bravo Company anymore. This is hard. It's wearing on my spirit. And God blessed me with a wonderful opportunity to be a lifeguard. That was really cool. I got to watch Special Forces guys do their scuba training and, and have lots of Bible time along the way. There have been other times I was... I was, I don't want to say I was lonely because I think God helped me make full use of my fellowship with him. But something in me just didn't feel quite complete. And I agreed with him and I said, Oh Lord, you said it, not me. It is not good for man to be alone. Would you bless me with a wife? And he did. But he didn't do it like that day. Some things we pray for and pray for and wait and wait. I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. The posture is Godward. I'm waiting on you. No other expectation, no other hope, no other means of deliverance but God alone. And we see this psalmist from beginning right here and we will see it clearly, clearly in the end. He is in a fix or in a pickle. He is in a very hard situation. And one other note about Psalms, if you, in case you sometimes find it confusing or hard to figure out, make you scratch your head, what's going on here? Did this already happen or is it yet future? Is it? And that's one of the difficulties of Hebrew compared to Greek, Greek has like really clear past, present, future. And there's even some other nuances in between, whereas 
And so it's, it's really nice for accuracy, but Hebrew is more vague and um, broad, more abstract. And so my brother had some questions before, and I think good ones, but context needs to be our guide. All right, let's race through the rest of the psalm. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me, and he heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, like slick, slippery mud. How are you going to get out of that pit? Out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay. And he set my feet upon a rock, a place of stability. And he established my footsteps, my goings. He has put a new song in my mouth. Praise unto our God. Many shall see it. Many, many shall see it and fear and shall trust in Yahweh. And that is the four-letter name of the God of Israel. Every time it's all caps, Lord, it's Yahweh in the Old Testament, basically, in Hebrew. Blessed is that man who makes the Lord, who makes Yahweh his trust, and that man who does not respect the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works which you have done, your thoughts which are toward us, which are to usward. They cannot be reckoned up in order unto you. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. I can't count them all. Verse 6, sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Mine ears hast thou opened. Burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. Then said I, lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. Lo, I have not refrained my lips. O Lord, thou knowest. I have not hid thy righteousness within my heart. I have declared thy faithfulness and thy salvation. I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from the great congregation. I think all three of those attributes of God were sung about in the special today. Withhold not thou. So notice the, the relation between 10 and 11. I have not withheld. Withhold not thou. Withhold not thou thy tender mercies from me. O Lord, let thy loving kindness and thy truth continually preserve me. In other words, I need thee every hour. I need them right now. For innumerable, and here's a contrast, 
Your goodness, your mercy, your graces, your wonderful works and your miracles toward us are more than I can. One, two, three, four, five. More than I can number. More than I can categorize and organize and, and count how many books and how many divisions and how many. Impossible. But here it's innumerable evils have surrounded me, beset me round about like an enemy entrapping me. For innumerable evils have compassed me about. Mine iniquities have taken hold upon me so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of my head. Therefore, my heart fails me. Literally, my heart forsakes me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let them be ashamed and confounded together who seek after my soul to destroy it. Let them be driven backward and put to shame who wish me evil. Let them be desolate for a, for a reward of their shame who say unto me, Let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in thee. Let such as love thy salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified. But I am poor and needy. You are you. Great and mighty. I am me. Poor and needy. Yet the Lord thinketh upon me. You are my help and my deliverer. I don't turn aside to the proud who claim to be something when they are nothing. I do not turn aside to lies whether the concept of a false god or any other pretend means of salvation, help, deliverance. My hope is in you alone. You are my help and my deliverer. I am in a sore fix. I beg you, oh God, deliver me. And, last plea, I'm about to end my prayer. Here it is. Please hurry! Much more eloquently written, though. Make no tarrying. Oh, my God. There is a note of urgency. What's at stake? Well, he knows. Even as you know, your felt sense of urgency in the thing which you desire deliverance from. And I think this has application to every single one of us. No matter who we are, where we are in our pilgrimage, don't we have room for growth? Or if we have some besetting sin which we need the help of God for, He is able to deliver us. 
and he is able to hurry up. <laughs> if he but so choose, is my heart 100% set, fixed on him alone? Well, this psalmist obviously was. And this is the psalm that we're looking at. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me. And because I hope to cover it all, not thoroughly, but let me just, not at all thoroughly, but let me suggest, and there are different suggestions, and this is not an inspired division, but as I've thought on it, just a very simple breakup of progression. Where does it start? Where does it finish? What's in between? Kind of like a train car. You've got the engine, and he's pulling the whole thing. And a train of thought in the Bible, or in a whole book, where does it start? Where does it finish? What's the theme? What are the different train cars connected between the engine and the caboose? And this is a very simple three-car train I propose to you. Maybe it's just because I'm a simple person. Number one, praise to Yahweh. This psalm is a praise to the Lord. Verses one through five. He heard me. I cried, he heard me. Whether this answer to his prayer is prophetic because look he's saying it's as good as done I was in a pickle he pulled me out or if he's stating his hope with such confidence in the character of God surely he will pull me out in fact I'm writing the praise for my deliverance in advance that's how sure the character of God is. Yeah, I'm surrounded by enemies. Yep, they're bigger than me. But yep, he could take down a lion and a bear and a giant, and this too shall pass. Not to be flippant with that phrase, or not to import more value than it might have. Anyway, his hope is in God. This is praise to the Lord. And as a side note, consider Psalm 22, which I know it's the flagship verse for the crucifixion of Christ in detail. With a parched mouth and poking out bones, going down to the dust of death, with the people of Israel figured as the... the cows of Bashan or the bulls of Bashan and the Gentiles as the dogs who surrounded him, the satanic ingredient to that whole ugly bowl of soup and, you know, Satan's role being portrayed by the lion. There's all that. But then there's the second half of the psalm, which is the deliverance. And then we see the Savior poised as the Praise leader leading the people in praise to the Lord because he did not despise the cry of the needy and he answered when I cried. There is the resurrection. That's a whole nother psalm. But consider how the, this first portion is a model for our praise. 
Moving on. Second section of this psalm is verses 6 through 12. It, it's, and I'm, I'm going to waffle if I get too, uh, I, let me stay, say it, it's 6 through 10. And a simple, a simple title for this section, Personal Integrity. Personal Integrity. Impeccable. Impeccable. This man is like no man that we have ever seen. This man is not Adam. This man is not Moses nor David. This man is referenced in Hebrews chapter 10, which we'll go to after a little while. And it is a reference, an allusion or a straight out depiction of the Son of God. And the section starts, Sacrifice, one, and offering, two, thou didst not desire, you did not want, you didn't have pleasure in. My ears have you opened. Now, Hebrew parallelism is very fascinating and what is the relationship between A and B? If you have A, B, uh, B, C, or, or for example, sometimes when you see something repeated, you have to see, oh, is that parallel or is it in contrast? Or is it being heightened or is it being extrapolated? Lots of different, well, it, it is, um, there is a way to quantify it and say, well, it's said to be between 10 and 15 different ways it can take off from there. But I just for now just want us to note that my ears you have opened is sandwiched between a parallel, a, a peat and repeat. Let's go back to verse 6 and, and read it together with, or read the whole thing. Sacrifice and offering Thou didst not desire, my ears have you opened. Burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. So if that goes like A, B, A, C, then, then what's going on here? Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book. What book? We'll get back to that. Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me. What book? I want to know what book. Oh, this makes me hungry. This makes me curious. I want to know what book. He said a book in the volume. What volume? I'm curious. Do you ever get like that? Like, I mean, I got an itch and I want to scratch it. And, and this one, I, it, okay, there are at least two suggestions. And if you've studied this more than me, let me know. Or anything that, that was said today, please feel free to interact and say, are you sure about that? Or I don't think so. Or whatever. Please. Because I want to grow in my understanding too. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears have you opened. Okay, so we have sacrifice, offering. 
burnt offering and sin offering. Four different words. Somebody suggested maybe this is an allusion to the fact that not all sins under the Old Covenant can be atoned for. You mean... And one of the apostles made note of that, didn't they, in the book of Acts? That the forgiveness that we're preaching, it covers them all. Then said I, lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me, I delight to do thy will, O God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. I have preached righteousness, in the great congregation, though I have not refrained my lips, O oh Lord, you know. I didn't hold back. When, when I had an opportunity to speak, I spake, I spoke, I said it. I was forthright and I was blunt. I put it out there on the table, on the line. I have not hid thy righteousness within my heart. I publicized it. I have declared thy faithfulness and thy salvation. Righteousness, faithfulness, salvation. I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from the great congregation. The end, I propose, of section two of this psalm. Number one, praise to Yahweh. You are gracious. You are good, more than I can count. You perform personal delivery for me. And I say, praise you, God. And many, many will see it, and they will fear. Gulp, God did that. Whoa, that is serious. I'm taking note. I'm going to fear the Lord, too. Something awesome happened. Section one, praise to the Lord. Section two, personal integrity. Impeccable character. And then section three, painful predicament. A painful predicament. Going back, though, look at the impeccable nature here. And I propose to us today that this is Jesus. And what comes to my mind, and I would like to develop this, and, and I just haven't. I didn't, didn't get the time or haven't formulated it, and, but I want to dwell on this and develop it and make it clear. This is Jesus. And the easiest, the, the first place my mind goes to is John 6 through 8 some of the most fierce, just nose-to-nose -nose with the Pharisees. Jesus, eyeball-to-eyeball -eyeball kind of confrontation. Have you ever felt at odds with somebody? Like right in their face. And they would get right in his face. And he would get right back. And it was intense. And if Jesus himself is our salvation, himself is God's means of deliverance. Himself is the Messiah. He is God in the flesh. And he says, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. 
That is God's salvation. He didn't, he didn't hold back from, he put it right out there. All right, you want to know the facts? There. It's me. And if you don't believe, you got no life and no hope. He didn't mince words. Think of the Apostle Paul. And this is another one of those itches I wish I could scratch and never can. <laughs> because the Bible just doesn't give us very much information. He says, I was in Damascus for such a time. And then I went to Jerusalem like 14 years later. But, you know, there, there's, when you do the chronology of Paul's life, there's like this gap of either some months or maybe two years where he's just out of the picture. He's in Arabia. Arabia? With who? With Jesus. And God is unveiling. I picture it like a Rubik's Cube that was in Paul's brain. He knew all the scriptures, maybe memorized the whole Old Testament. And he was zealous, but he didn't know Jesus Christ. And when he knew Christ, oh, Oh, it's like that. That Rubik's Cube just got solved. And I think it was especially in the time that he was in Arabia where he got it ironed out. Frequently in his letters, he's writing to Gentiles. Maybe it was him in Hebrews who's just speaking, frankly, as a Jew to Jews. But my point is, Consider how Psalm 40, as a messianic psalm, may have impacted Paul's theology and his understanding of this one word, verse 10, righteousness, God's righteousness, and it just bleeds all through the book of Romans. Of course, this isn't the only text, but anyway, I just say all that to support my theory that we see Jesus in this psalm. And I don't want to press it or strain it if this is Davidic. But we know some of it and perhaps all of it is about Jesus. So I offer that for our consideration. Later we'll go back to something that's more sure and true and no matter of speculation or theory. All right, the last section, which we'll spend the least time on, rightly or wrongly, is the painful predicament. And this is intercession. And in, so if God's praise inexhaustible, Christ's integrity is impeccable, the painful predicament leads him to intercession. This is where I see intercession. If this is Christ, if this is a Christological kind of passage. What is going on here? How can we see Jesus in one verse and say, oh yeah, that's Jesus. And then we come to another verse and he's saying, my sins grab hold of me and they're pulling me down and they weight my head down and I can't even look up and my heart fails me. He's low. He's low down. He is in despair almost, except he's holding out in hope. Calling upon the Lord in hope with faith in God to be his deliverer. 
And I would propose that this is Jesus because he became sin for us. And as our faithful high priest, he owned it. And he was not ashamed to be called one of us. That's the whole purpose of the incarnation of the Son of God in Hebrews chapters 1 and 2. Why, did, why, why would God become a man so that he could represent us at the cross? Why do you have to die? Because I deserve death. Why do you have to shed his blood? Because blood is the life of the flesh. The life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar, God says in Leviticus. There is a theology about the blood, about the sacrifice, and about the necessity for something more valuable than a lamb or a bull or any animal to take the place of me because I'm made in the image of God. An animal is just that. But Jesus became the God-man so he could die in your place for you. Christ, who loved me and gave his life for me, as it was so personal to Paul, I believe it should be just so personal to you and to me. He died for me. He took on flesh and blood so he could hang on that cross in utter rejection, scorn, despise, spit upon, beaten, nigh naked for you, for me. It's what we deserve. And there is something about God that is remarkable. And I wanted to read this psalm. This song, rather. It's a favorite of mine. It's written by John Newton. The tune is kind of hard to get. My singing would make your ears hurt. So I'm just going to read it. Great God of wonders. And I think of... A verse that Moses wrote in Exodus, I think it is. O Lord, who is a God like thee? Who is a glorious God like thee? Doing wonders. Doing wonders. God does some awesome things. And one of the most awesome things is all wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ. His incarnation his crucifixion for you and me, and his resurrection, and his ascension. And he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And Paul's prayer in Ephesians 2 says, Oh, I want you to know the power, the greatness of the power of God that is at work toward you who believe. It is the same power that raised Jesus, seated him at his own right hand, and it's the same power at work in you. Where you are, seated at the right hand of God. In fact, in Colossians, he says, you are not here. You are not alive. For you, <clears throat> for your life is hid with Christ in God. And when Christ shall appear, then you will appear with him in glory. Meaning, 
In the meantime, in the interim between, <laughs> between now and when I see me, this life is not my life. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And that, I think, was the theme of Brother Bob's message this morning, is that it's not about you and me. We're to yield ourselves and let his abiding life live in and through us. Positionally, doctrinally, this is what we're taught. Now, practically, how do we work it out? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. How much do you and I need this character quality of God in our daily lives, in our personal relationships? This is at the heart of the miracle of God that allows him to do miracles for you and I, to save us, to be compassionate, merciful toward us. And that's it. Mercy, grace, great God of wonders, all thy ways are matchless, godlike, and divine. But the fair glories of your grace, more godlike and unrivaled shine. Who is a pardoning God like thee? Or who has grace so rich and free? And that's it. The other gods of the world, they don't have mercy, grace, compassion, nor do they have power. They have ears, but they can't hear. I have to hurry up and close. Ears, but they can't hear. How much of my life is like that? But not this man. My ears have you opened. My ears. Sacrifice and offering you didn't desire. My ears have you opened. Burnt offering. Now, maybe to hear this message. And I wanted to go into a theology about sacrifices. I'm just going to summarize it in a few words. Why sacrifices? Because you didn't obey in the first place. Right? Pretty simple. <laughs> because of sin. And we, there needs to be an offering. There needs to be a reconciliation of the broken relationship. I need to acknowledge I was wrong. I sinned. I royally offended you, God. And there needs to be a royal payment made. And Jesus did that for us. And now we stand on the good side by God's grace because of the Lamb of God. Not something we did, but what He did for us. I want us to see the grace of God and likewise Worship God for his grace. More than we can count, he was gracious to us. And what he did for Jesus when he heard him and rescued him from the grave, pulled him out of that miry pit and placed his feet on the rock of God's salvation. God saved him. God answered his cry. And in answering his cry, our needs are all provided for. What he did in raising Christ he did for Christ. He did for us. What's done for Christ is done for us. We are in him. And as his body, we should praise him. And flip with me to Hebrews 10 as we close. It's not 1230, is it? I better put my spectacles back on. That's bad. Okay. 
So, Hebrews chapter 10. And we get a different rendition. And some say, well, this is the LXX. He's quoting the Greek translation of the Old Testament here. But I did a little checking, and it's not like that. And others propose, therefore, that this is an interpretation of Hebrew is literally, you, di you dug ears for me. <laughs> That's pretty cool. And you know, there's a verse in Jeremiah that says, that talks about Israel having uncircumcised ears. Jeremiah and Moses talked about you need to circumcise your heart or you need a circumcision of heart. Paul talked about a circumcision not of the hands, but in the heart by the Spirit. Who's doing that marvelous operation? That has to do with Christ in you, Christ in me. All right. Let's look at verse 5. Wherefore, when he comes into the world, I'll start in verse 4. It's impossible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared for me. Do you see the paraphrase or the interpretation of the ears you dug for me? Is that you prepared a body for me. In other words, what makes in Psalm 40 in the Hebrew would be, I got ears to hear. I know what you're saying. I can hear you talk to me. In fact, I'm telling you what God said. Sacrifice and offering, useless. No pleasure. I'm not even asking for that. I'm not even asking for that from God to Jesus. I'm not looking for those animal sacrifices. You've opened my ears. I know. Here, I'm coming to do your will, O God. In the book, volume of the book, it's written of me. Where? Now, some would say this is in Deuteronomy when it's said the kings should copy this out, the whole law, that they might always do it. Well, this could tie very well. Your law is within my heart. Check. He's good to go there. I've also wondered, could it be Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 19-ish, where God says, you, you might remember in John 1, the Pharisees send people to, to ask Jesus, or excuse me, to ask John the Baptist, who are you? Are you Elijah? Nope. Are you the Christ? Nope. Are you that prophet? Nope. Well, who are you then? We need to give an answer. What do you, but what do they mean, are you that prophet? That goes back to Deuteronomy 18, where he says, I will raise up to the children of Israel one like you, Moses. Him shall the people hear. And if they don't, it's really bad for them. Now, and he says, I will put my words in his mouth, the mouth of that prophet. That prophet, are you that prophet? That prophet 
would have the words of God to tell to the people of Israel. That prophet was Jesus. And how many times do we see him in the Gospels saying, I'm telling you the words of God. The words that I speak are the words I heard from my Father, and you don't receive them. Or of the apostles and the disciples of that time, Father, you sent me into the world. I've given them your words, and they have believed. See the correlation? So maybe one of those two Old Testament passages is what he's referring to, or maybe something that harkens back to eternity past that we don't have uh, accessible to us. At any rate, in the volume of the book, it's written to me, I come to do your will. I have heard. My ears are open. I know what God says. I know what pleases the Father. And here I come. I'm going to do it. And he entered into the world, became a man, and laid down his life for us. He did not withhold one digit, one member, one aspect of his life. He lived. He said, I always do the things that please the Father. Always. He just lived in that hand-in-glove, close connection with the Father. And he did it. To make it possible for you and I, likewise, to walk with God just like that. Just like that. Do you hear a similarity to the, the, your law is written within my heart and the new covenant, the words of the new covenant in Jeremiah? There, there's a ring of similarity at least. And I don't want to suggest too much here. I just want to note that an illusion. And I want us to consider Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that our walk with God is totally predicated on the person of Jesus Christ. And everything in it is legitimate. And we have access to the Father. We have peace with God. We have the Holy Spirit and the fullness of the Godhead residing in us bodily. And oh, that I might reflect it in every aspect of my life, right? And oh, how awful I feel every day, every day when I fail to be perfect as he is perfect. And we long for that day. One day, future, it'll, it'll get better, right? <laughs> the resurrection or the rapture. But for now, wrapping it up, in Christ we are a new creature. He says, put on the new man, which is renewed in righteousness and true holiness. Put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. In Romans, he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. This is our privilege. And the title of the sermon today was, Oh, to be like thee. Whether we sing that or a different song, either way. But, Oh, to be like thee, Jesus, whose ear is attuned to the Father, who knows what's pleasing to the Father, who knows what pleases God is not an animal sacrifice, but the whole offering, the whole body, and everything that goes with it, being the entirety of our, our soul, our strength, our mind, our all. 
Oh, to be like Jesus. And that is the encouragement that I hope we get from Psalm 40 today. Oh, to be like thee. I come to do your will, O God. And like nobody else, nobody else could, he did it. And it says in verse 9, Then he said, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He takes away the first testament, covenant, that he may establish the second covenant. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. The significance of the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all cannot be minimized. There's one way to God and it's through Jesus. Have you come to Jesus? Having come to Jesus, may we appreciate that sacrifice. And I just want to highlight that word will. You know, all glory to God in Revelation 4.11. Why? For thou hast created all things, and for thy will they are and were created. In other words, this whole universe and all of creation is here by one thing. It's the will of God. Dominating, dictating. Now, not to override the will of man that he's given to us, but God, we're here because God has a will. And being made in his image, he's given us a will. And he doesn't force you and I to walk with him, but to yield to him. And may we, even as Jesus did. And it's by that will, the will of God that sent Jesus into the world was to reconcile you and me. And we are sanctified. And so may we walk. Again, as Brother Bob taught this morning from 2 Corinthians, that's the invitation, is to, to be separate from this world, separate from our old man, or the man of sin, the way of the world, the first Adam, and to be like Christ. May we all take the next step closer to him. Brother Joel, would you come to close us in a, in a hymn as we end? Heavenly Father, thank you that you are gracious. Thank you that your goodness and mercies are innumerable. All the good things you do for us. A new heavens and a new earth. Inheritance in your coming kingdom. Thank you. Salvation and deliverance from sin. Help us to live and demonstrate that liberty you've given us and long for it day by day. Help us, God, to praise you and not refrain our lips from sharing your salvation with others. Help us, God, to meditate on your word and to grow in your likeness, the likeness of your Son. In his name, amen.